The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. It's good to be with you guys today. Good to be back from the men's fishing trip. We had a great time of some really cool bonding. Um, I'm just encouraged by, by the fellowship and the relationships. It kind of went to another level, and that was sort of our objective for the trip is for some of the men of the church who were able to go just to kind of get to get to know each other a little bit better. And so the Lord certainly blessed us. We, we came back safe with, with no injuries other than a little bit of burns and, and lots of humility by flipping those canoes over. But it was, it was a good time by all. I want to encourage you to pray for Shay today. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Shay. Um, it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, he's not here this morning because Shay is the chaplain for the T-Bones. And so he's doing chapel, baseball chapel for uh, them today. And he has, for their home games that are on Sundays, he'll have some responsibilities. He'll either do chapel on Saturday nights or, or Sunday. And so that's really cool. I encourage you to pray for him to have some breakthrough with, with uh, some of those players and encourage them. And they may be in discouraging places in their lives. It's tough. It's challenging. I know we think that, man, oh, that's great I, just to, to live that whole dream out. It's kind of a challenging uh, time for those guys. We, we actually have a baseball player in the church. I uh, won't uh, say who he is, uh, but uh, his wife is here today. And if you don't know that, it's pretty cool. But he's, he's playing right now and he's away from his family. It, it's challenging for them. And so pray for Shay. It's a great opportunity for ministry uh, for him to be able to minister to those guys out there. Uh, but uh, wanting, we encourage you uh, to do that. And, and I, I want to share with you today the Lord has been speaking to me um, recently as we were coming out of the last series and I was thinking about, you know, Lord, where do we go uh, f- for June? Like, what do you want to say? What do you, what do you want your people to hear? And, and so the, the Lord kept reminding me a little bit of, you know, June is kind of, it's Father's Day, uh, which is not really a, a big deal. I think it's just people felt guilty because Mother's Day is such a big deal. So they just tossed it on the calendar. Uh, but uh, so June is kind of like a man's month, right? And so uh, uh, the Lord has kind of spoken to me about, about uh, speaking to the men of our church and certainly speaking to all of us, uh, but uh, I feel like he's really like calling me to kind of spend some time really thinking through it and issuing a challenge for all of us, and it sort of landed on this whole idea uh, of being fierce, and I kind of got confirmation from that while we were on the trip, and the Lord like I shared the word on Sunday morning just briefly before we set out on the river. And, and so the Lord just kind of gave me some confirmation. Yeah, this is where I want you to go. And so that's, that's, that's what I want to share with you today is that um, the Lord has been saying to me that, that there is a need for men and women, you know, boys and girls, students, there is a need to rise above the normal and be fierce for the Lord. There's too many people in the world, in the kingdom, that are just being normal for the Lord. And there's a call and there's, there's an expectation that the Lord wants us to be fierce for him. And so that's, that's what it's going to take, and that's what the Lord has been sharing with me about what does it take for OPCC to take another step and go to the next level. And, and I, the Lord is saying, man, it's going to take men and women to be fierce for me. That's what the Lord is, is wanting out of OPCC, for us to really believe that we can be a group of people who are fierce for Jesus as our king and that he can use us to accomplish things 
that we never thought or even dreamed of. He exceeds our expectations, as the Word says that He will do. And, and so I, I'm reminded uh, by the Holy Spirit of David's mighty men. <laughs> and these dudes, like, uh, they were, like, when you talk about David's mighty men, your translation may say mighty warriors, but they were bad dudes. And they were fierce. Um, there was a, one in the, in instance in 2 Samuel chapter 17. There's some rebellion because of some consequences in David's home. Like uh, uh, there's some consequences of David's sin with uh, Bathsheba. Like, like there, the sword was going to come into his family. And God told him that. There's, like he didn't like separate his relationship from him. But says, there's going to be consequences David for this. And part of it was there was division in his home and one of his sons, Absalom, rose up and took over, tried to run him out of town. And so during that period of time when David is sort of on the, the run, he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, and this division happens in the home, uh, Ahithophel is a counselor that uh, Absalom sends for. And, and Ahithophel tells uh Absalom, he says, what should I do, Absalom asks him. He says, well, you should, you should take all of the, the, your fighting men and you should go after your father and you should kill him right now. Because the people who have left with him, if you kill your dad right now and, and you, you have already pronounced yourself as king, then all of the people re return back and they will follow you because David will be gone. And so uh, Absalom kind of liked what he was hearing, so he calls for another counselor, and the counselor's name is Hushai, I think is who it was, and, and he asks him, you know, what do you think? And Hushai, Hushai says, uh, this time Ahithophel's counsel is not good. He says, you know your father and his men. They are fighters and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. He's basically saying, Absalom, your dad is a bad man, and you do not want to take him on. His, his, the dudes that are with him are bad men, and when you start thinking about going into battle with them, you had better be prepared and not just think you're going to go in and take those guys out because he's basically saying the Lord has raised them up as warriors to conquer the, the territory and the kingdom and make the kingdom all that it was supposed to be as he promised to Abraham that he would make him a father of many nations. David was the king that was used to accomplish that. And so he's basically saying this is not a good idea. You should not do it. And so we, we look and we get an idea of what these mighty men were like. Now, we're not going to go into what happens with Absalom as he pursues him. That, that's not today's sermon. It's just to give you an idea of what the, the uh, perception of the people were about David and his mighty men. And we're tempted to think that these were great men, like these were guys that were just great and uh, they were used because of their greatness, but actually they are a group of nobodies that became somebodies. They were nobodies. Like when we look in the scripture and we find um, how they came together, David is in this place where he is alone. David, um, he he's, he's has the blessing and anointing of God on his life. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And so he 
doesn't fulfill the um, expectations of the Lord. He doesn't listen and obey the Lord and, and follow his voice like the Lord told him to do. God is telling him to do things, and he sort of takes things into his own hands and tries to cut out his own path. And, and so God is, tells him, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and David has been the one, is the one who's chosen, is going to be raised up uh, to be the next king. And so we see David, uh, first, uh, one of the most famous things about David, when he slays Goliath. And all of Israel is there in battle, and here he is as a young man. Most scholars agree he's probably somewhere between the ages of 15 and 17. And he takes on this giant and takes him out. And he becomes famous, and they start singing songs about him. And so Saul brings him in and, and honors him, and then Saul starts to feel threatened by David. Saul starts to recognize the hand of God is on this guy's life. And so it ends up in that first David is brought in and, and he is a part of, of David or King Saul's court, but he ends up being so threatening and presenting such a threat to King Saul that King Saul tries to kill him. And so David has to go on the run. He flees, even though he's best friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan. They're, they're knit together in a very close, tight relationship. But Jonathan tells him, listen, my dad means evil for you. And so David goes on the run. And so when David is in hiding, this is how we find that the mighty men that he raised up, um, how they were gathered around him. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So David is just trying to listen to the Lord as a young man, and God is blessing him. Like he slays the giant. He, he's, he's increasing his favor with God and men, and he's increasing in his stature as he's entering into manhood. And God is honoring that. And, and so now as he's listening and following the Lord, and he's just trying to do everything that's right, he is opposed by an enemy. And that's exactly what happens to us. The more in tune we get to the spirit of the Lord, and the more uh, uh, familiar we are to his voice and listening to him, the more opposition we will face from an enemy. And that's what happened in David's life. And, and so David is trying to be obedient to the Lord. He's trying to surrender to him. He's trying to do everything right. But he's like, why, like, why is this opposition happening? And so like, when you get serious about following the Lord, there will always be opposition in your life. We can see it in every character in the Bible. There's always some opposition they face from an enemy. And our opposition is we are battle against spiritual forces and wickedness in heavenly places that we can't see. Ephesians is very clear to us about that, is that we will wrestle against principalities in the spiritual realm. And when we get serious about serving and following the Lord, the more difficult some of the opposition that will take place in our life will become. And so David is in this place of being alone. He's, 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 he's on the run, man. And God brings him these people. And man, I get a little emotional about that because like all my life, um, listen, if you want to know anything about me that's, that, that I think is the most special thing outside of my family about Jimmy Holbrook, and, and I say this with humility, is, man, I just love the Lord, and I'm just trying to follow him. And I've been trying to do that since I was 22 because there was, there was a time in my life where I just ran from him in the opposite direction. And so, like, I just love Jesus, man. I love the way he's transformed my life. I love the way he showed up time after time. And, and so the Lord has, he, he, he called me into ministry, and, and the Lord, man, he just puts people around you. 
And he's faithful to do that. And so as I preach the word to you today, and I, I, I'm reminded of all of the people through, through the last two decades of the ministry that I've been involved in, in Oklahoma and now here, I'm reminded of the people that God has brought around me, and I'm reminded of these people. Like God brought these people who were distressed or in debt or discontented and gathered around David, and he became their commander. And and so I'm reminded of how discontented souls and in distress became fierce for the Lord. And I watched people, I've watched people do that. And I've watched many of you do that. I've watched you become fierce for the Lord. I'm watching some of you do it right now. You're, you're trying to take the next step and not just be a normal person who follows the Lord, but becomes fierce. If the Lord is going to use us to accomplish what he has called us to do as a ministry here in this community, I am incapable of fulfilling what that request is by the Lord alone. It cannot be done. It is bigger than one man's desire. It is bigger than one man's vision. It is bigger than one man's willingness to be fierce for the Lord. It is bigger than two men. And I am so encouraged that that we have Shay. I'm so encouraged that we have Molly and and Corey and Christina. I'm so encouraged that I have my family. I'm so encouraged that I have the leaders that I have around me in this church. But it it is going to require all of us. Like when you come to a church this size... And you go, who's he talking to? I'm talking to you, bro. Like everybody. Everybody in this room, there is an expectation that you become fierce for the Lord and that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling like the word calls us to do and you become the fierce individual that the Lord wants you to be so that we can fulfill the mission that God has for us as a body of believers locally in this community. And as we all begin to see that, And as we all begin to work that out, then what happens is God uses us to accomplish incredible things. So discontented souls in distress, they they became fierce for the Lord. The same was true for Jesus. And so as we look at this story and I draw some of these parallels, I am in no way, shape, or form trying to compare myself to David. Like when we look at David, what we see is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Like that's, like, that's why Jesus is called the son of David. Now, he was not the Messiah, but we see pictures of Jesus. Like, we can see Jesus in Moses. Um, we can see Jesus in David. And David, like, we see so many parallels about David and Jesus. And, and the Lord, like, he, he, he's preserving the holiness of his word and how we can trust it when we see these parallels. Like, when we see J- David and we see 400 men, when you look at Jesus, you'll see several hundred disciples who saw him after he was resurrected. Jesus took the distressed, the in debt, the nobodies, gathered him around himself and made them into somebodies. And so the same that is true for David and gathering mighty men around him, and they, they are nobodies that become somebodies, the same is true for Jesus. He gathers the disciples around him, even the apostles, the 12 that he chosen. They are nobodies who become somebodies, and the same is true for us today. It's like we, we, we come in and we are nobodies. We, we have nothing to offer to the Lord of the universe and all he asks is just, I want you. I want, that's all I want is complete surrender from you in your life. And when we step into that surrender, what happens is we begin to learn the secret of surrender and the Lord makes us fierce for him. And that's what happened um, with these guys. And so that's the kind of people the Lord loves to use. And that's the kind of people OPCC needs. And I believe that's what he's calling 
um, each of us to be. And so as we look at these guys today, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 23, and we read through them, man, they are bad dudes. And I, this is, this is, but I hope you're encouraged today. I hope you're encouraged to be fierce men and women of the Lord. These are the names of David's mighty men. Yosheb Bashabeth, a Tachamanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Like, this is a brave heart, dude. Man, this guy is bad to the bone. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamam for battle. Then the men of Israel all retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistine until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shema, son of Agi, the Harite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck, down the Philist- struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down uh, to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And so it's about 12 miles away. It doesn't say that in the word, but that's how far it was. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. These dudes went 12 miles. It wasn't a command. David was just saying, oh, I just, I'm so thirsty. I'd love to have a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And these dudes made the 12-mile journey and brought it back to David. And it says, uh, when they got it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives and David would not drink it. Like he, was, he was so blown away by their, their risk and their loyalty that he said, this, I am not worthy to drink this water. It belongs to the Lord, and he poured it out as an offering. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zariah, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander even though he was not included among them. And then the last one we look at. Benaiah, son of Joihida, was a valiant fighter from Kebzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. Listen to this. He also (laughs) went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Not just, didn't just kill a lion, but on a snowy day he went in and killed the lion. 
And he struck down a huge Egyptian, although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaniah went against him with a club, and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. And then the, the word goes on to list the rest of the men by name. And so to be listed, they had to show unparalleled courage in battle as well as wisdom and leadership. They were just bad men. They were, they were fierce, and they were fierce for the Lord. And, and what we see is that they wanted to be just like David. Like if you, if you read through that, you see David all in that. And if you read through that and you read and study David, you see Jesus all in that. That's exactly what's going on here. Like when it talks about how they stood and there was a mocking of the Israelite, or the, they went with the Philistines and they mocked him and all of Israel fled, but this dude, Eliezer, stood his ground. That's exactly what David did on the mount uh, um, at Ephesdamum whenever he went against David and Goliath had their battle, that epic battle. All of Israel was scared to death. They would go down in the valley and then the giant would step out and say, send me a man, and they'd run back up the hill. And David went and stood in the middle by himself alone and slayed Goliath. And so these guys looked in David and they saw um, in David, they saw something that they aspired to. They could see that this man, um, as the word teaches about him, he was a man after God's own heart and they wanted to emulate him. And so it was a good thing that they wanted to be like David because David had a man after, or had a heart after, uh, after God. And so I wanna draw your attention to a few of these guys and paint a vision of fierceness for the Lord. Like, what does this mean? Because we look at these guys and obviously they were used to establish the kingdom of Israel. It was fulfillment of the promise and the prophecy that God had laid out in the word that he was going to raise up this great nation. And so there was war, there were, there were battles. And we go, well, how do I, how, well, you, Jimmy, are you asking me to do that? If somewhat in a similar fashion, because again, as I've said, we can see all the parallels. Like even as we look at the, it names all of the, the 30 men, it says there are, there are three of them that had a special place. We look at the disciples, there are three of them, the inner circle, James and, and John and, and, and Peter. They, they were the three that, that were listed among the 12. They had a more intense relationship and role within the uh, first apostles. And so we see those parallels and we see that we are called to go into spiritual battle for a spiritual kingdom as we are called to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is the calling of the church. That's it. Like, you cannot, like the calling of the church requires that we minister to people who are in prison, people who are orphaned, orphaned, people who are poor. The calling of the church is, is that we should be doing that. But before we do anything else, there is no doubt whatsoever that we are to make disciples. That is the call of the Lord, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament were ca called to go and conquer the land and take the land, we are to go conquer lives and take lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. We go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the call of the Lord. And so as we begin to look at them, we see that God wants us to be engaged in that battle, wrestling not against flesh and blood as they did in the Old Testament, but wrestling against principalities and fighting for men and women who are not part of the kingdom yet. And that's what discipleship is all about, is, is, is inviting someone into your life and beginning to shape them and help them to know what it means to fully surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first we see um, of these men, Yosheb Bashabeth. He's chief of the three. 
And it says that he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Here's what I want you to take away from this. And I think this is fascinating. I never knew this until I was preparing for this sermon. His name means dwelling in rest. Fierce people dwell in rest. That's what we learn. The first guy listed in David's mighty men was his name means to dwell in rest. Fierce people realize that power and productivity come from resting in the Lord. We call it abiding. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 15. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But as long as you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You cannot bear fruit. We're talking about spiritual fruit, the fruit of the kingdom. We're talking about it being grown in your own life and in the lives of others as disciples are made for the Lord. And he says, you cannot do it unless you dwell in me. Eliezer's name means dwell and rest. He's mentioned as the first of the three mighty men. He had a preeminent place in David's uh, battalion. And so now when we look at this, we can just see the harmony. Like, this is what I say, man, you, you look at the Bible, man. The Bible has so much harmony. It just every time I dig a new nugget out, I'm just blown away at how wealthy it is um, with the richness of, of truth. And, and so we see in it, that, that, that the Lord is calling us to abide. And you, you'll never be fierce without learning how to rest in the Lord. Never. And so like this whole sabbatical thing, let me talk to you a little bit about this. This is hard for me, okay? And let me tell you where this came out of. It came out of me spending uh, 15 years at the same church and just grinding it out as the Lord moved and moved and moved. And ultimately, I never stepped away, and I got into a rough spot. And, 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 and so I left the church, and I, Abby and I, as we prayed through that moment, um, I said, I will never take another church without building a sabbatical in. Like, I, I need to step away and not feel like it's all on my shoulders, and, and just to let it go. Because you never do, you never do put it down. Like, it, it's, not, it's not so much the work and the duties that have to be done. It's just that, man, you just, you just want, you love the church. Man, I love you guys. When I say I love the church, I mean I love all of you. And I think about you. I think about how can I help you grow? How can I challenge you? How can I encourage you? How can I do the things that I need to do to help equip you to reach more people for the kingdom? And I'm mean, going to just constantly think about that. It never leaves my mind. And so I, I knew coming in when, when the, the leadership team contacted me, I, as we, we talked through it, I said, listen, at seven years, I need to step away and take a sabbatical regardless of what's going on at the church. And so, like, for me, like, it's hard. Like, let me tell you, just for sake of transparency, some of the things I struggle with. I struggle with what do you guys think? Like, you don't get to step away from your job for seven weeks. And I have to work through that. And I've shared that with some of the guys, and they've encouraged me through it. Uh, I struggle with, man, you know, what happens when I'm not around? Like, can I, can I really step away from this thing and just not be focused on it for that period of time? And the Lord is, I, I really feel like, here's what I feel. I feel like the church is going to grow while I'm gone. I feel like some of you are going to step into leadership positions that it's going to pull you up and, and, and you're going to be stretched. I think that the, the Lord is just going to honor and bless it because I'm realizing that the most important thing that I can do for the church is to keep myself spiritually healthy. So it is a challenge for me to do this, but I'm trying to model for you what I feel like the word teaches us. That as I rest in the Lord, and so part of what I'm going to do, like I'm, I'm, I'm working it out, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend some time in Montana 
on a horse. Amen. And I'm just, like, just going to try to get with the Lord and listen. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? And so a lot of what I'm, I'm doing is, is, is stepping away to try to hear from the Lord. A lot of it is just, just to kind of just believe that the Lord is going to honor as I try to rest in him what he wants to do in the ministry of the church. And so when we see this, we see that if you are going to be fierce for the Lord, because listen, then the most important thing I do, and I learned this, I learned this from the busyness of how the last ministry, it grew and it grew and it, and it got so busy and I started doing all these things, it just kept eating more and more away from my time that I would spend with the Lord in prep, like just sitting with the Lord in, in the word and in prayer and, 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 and talking to him. And, and things got so busy that I started like cutting, rushing that more and more and more and more. And, and so like, it's very difficult to be disciplined and be the kind of people that the Lord calls us to be where we abide in him. We step away, we rest in the Lord, we carve out a moment of time, and we believe that we will be more productive at work if we will sit at the feet of the Lord. And that's what the Lord is calling us to do. So this is not just for ministers to abide in the Lord. We see all of these guys, like this guy's name meant that he was one who dwelled in rest. And so you need to dwell in rest. Now, when I say dwell in rest, what do I mean by that? Rest in the Lord. Abide in him. Like, don't try to do all of the work that you have to do. Don't try to build um, the, the team that you're building for, for your career. Don't try to build it in your own power. Build it in the power of Christ, and the only way to access that power is at his feet. Like, this is the only way he gives it away. If you're, if you're leading out in the community and you're, you're part of an organization or whatever and you're trying to lead something, know that the Lord has you in that place for a specific reason to lead out and he, he wants to use you. But the only way that he can use you and bring power into your life is if you sit at his feet. He's not doling out the power to people who aren't willing to sit at his feet. And as we sit at his feet and we listen to the Lord, then he pours forth the wisdom and the power and we connect with him in an intimate way so that he can pour forth that wisdom and truth out of our lives and the Lord just rolls out of us and we begin to conquer territory for him. And so the first takeaway, fierce people dwell in rest. Here's the second guy. Um, <laughs> Hold on, I'm stuck. Did I get messed up? Joshebed, Eliezer. I got Joshebed. That's what messed up. Did y'all catch that? I took, uh, I took uh, Josheb Bashabeth, and then I started saying Eliezer. Now we're on to Eliezer, all right? Josheb Bashabeth dwells in rest. That's what his name means. Everybody got it? Everybody good? All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Eleazar since you guys aren't confused and I am. He struck down Philistines until his hand froze to the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory and the troops returned just to clean up. Like he just sat out there and fought the battle all by himself. And when the troops came back, like all, everything was done. They just were like gathering the spoils. Here's what his name means. God has helped. His name means God has helped. So fierce people receive the Lord's help. Ephesians chapter six, this is what I want to draw the parallels. Like, I love this part. Like he's out there fighting the battle and his, he, he, it, it lasted so long and he, it's so intense. When they get back, his hand is literally physically froze to the sword. Like they had to, they had to, like his hand had cramped around the sword. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is essential because apart from the Word of God, you will never have direction in your life. Fierce people realize that the Word is alive and active, as Hebrews teaches us, and so they hold on to it with everything until their hand freezes to it, until they know, like, I cannot live my life without some time in the Word. They begin to recognize it, that if they're not spending time in the Word, they're not having that time or that, that experience of power being channeled through their life. And so when we uh, freeze to, like, we allow our hand to freeze to the Word, then what happens is God helps us be fierce when we hold on to the Word. And so, like, if you're going to be a fierce person, you got to dwell and rest. you got to freeze your hand to the word. And so let your hand freeze to the word until you cannot let go of it. And then we come to the third guy, Shema. He took a stand in the middle of the field as well. And when everyone fled, the Lord, it says, brought about great victory. You know what his name means? Astonishment. Fierce people are marked by divine astonishment. David was so overwhelmed um, or, 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 or that, that the people were so overcome by looking at this guy's life. When they would look at Shema, they could see that, that, that the divine hand of, of God was upon him. And so when, here's what I see happening in the scripture and what I think the Lord is trying to teach us is when you work from rest and hold on to the word, you and others are astonished by the divine hand of the Lord at work in your life. I'm, I'm glad Shay's not here today. I'm so glad because I won't talk about him. I, I'm so thankful for Shay because he is fierce for the Lord. And in the last year, you guys have had to watch him. You've had to watch him walk away from a good-paying job and walk into a new area of uh, of, of a career to try to provide for his family, scared to death. But he's being fierce for the Lord because he feels the Lord has called him into that. And I think many of you are enamored by him. I've been around long enough, you're not enamored by me anymore. You're comfortable with me. But you're looking at him, and as a young man, and you're going, what is going on? This is what is going on. He is fierce for the Lord. And because he's fierce for the Lord, we are astonished. And you are astonished as you look at his life. And other people ought to be looking at your life and they ought to be astonished at the divine hand of God at work in you. That's what the Lord is trying to say to us is that when we, when we work from rest, when we hold on to the word of God, we will be marked by divine astonishment. Like people will look at us and they will go, man, the, the hand of the Lord is upon that guy's life. What is different about him? What is different is he's being fierce for the Lord. He's believing at all costs that God has called him into something and it's not easy to do what it is that, he, that, that, that God calls us to do, but as we step into it, then we see the hand of God bringing us through it and people and as well as ourselves are astonished. I look at so many things in my life and I just go, man, I, that is the Lord. It is the Lord. We look in the scripture and we see that the, the apostles, they, they would say this, man, whenever something incredible happened after Jesus had resurrected from the dead and the Holy Spirit had come, they would say, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Like they were astonished and amazed and in wonder of God. And so as pe the people of God, that's what's supposed to be happening in our lives. Like your kids ought to be able to look at you and be astonished at the work of God in your life. You want to help your kids follow the Lord and be people who are, are faithful? Don't teach them to go to church. They will hate it. They won't understand it. But if they watch you as a mom or a dad and they see you fierce for the Lord and they see the hand of God rolling out of your life and they're astonished by it, you know what they're thinking? I've got to give me some of that. 
I want some of that for myself. And as they begin to develop that spiritual appetite, then they follow through to become people who are fierce for the Lord themselves. And so Shema, we see, was marked by divine astonishment. Then there were the three of the 30 who overheard David say he would like a drink from the well. And we don't know their names. They don't, aren't specifically identified, but they risked their lives to offer the king a cup of cold water. It wasn't even a man. He's just like talking, man. Ah, I'm so thirsty. How good. He's just reminded of how good that well tasted when he was a kid and he lived there. So the dudes broke through enemy ranks. They traveled 12 miles. They bring the king back a cup of cold water. Here's what we see. Um, fierce people risk their lives for the king. David was so overwhelmed by the sacrificial act that he offered it. You know what it's a parallel to? The woman who broke the perfume and anointed Jesus' feet, and people talk about it forever. This is one of the most loved stories about David is whenever his men brought him this water, and he said, I can't drink that, and he poured it on the ground as a libation offering. A libation offering, like they would, the Israelites would not, they would not consume the blood of a sacrifice. They would pour it out. You know, and, and, and so what, what we see here is that he's pouring it out as an offering to the Lord because it represented the blood that was risk of his men. And he's saying, I'm not worthy of it. And I am reminded today as we think of that when Jesus said, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. I'm reminded of the parallel in the New Testament when Jesus says, what are we to do? We're to be living our lives where we're serving others. And as we offer that cup of cold water, we're doing it in the name of Christ. And as we are risking our lives for the sake of others, and, and, and we realize it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, then we see the hand of God moving in our midst. And then we come to the last guy, Beniah. He performed great exhibits. He struck down Moab's two best men. He went down into a pit. I mean, if you're going to be in the Bible and only have a couple of verses, why not this one? He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian by taking his sword. Like he went to battle with a club against a, a they say that this guy was probably seven over seven feet tall. Again, he's trying to emulate David, trying to be like him because David had slain a giant as well. He takes the guy's sword from him and kills him with it and ends up being in charge of David's bodyguard. His name means the Lord has built. Fierce people are built by the Lord. Now as Corey comes and we begin to land this talk today, fierce people are not built by themselves. They are built by the Lord. And I'm reminded of the scripture that teaches us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. A holy dwelling to be built by the Lord. This is what you're to take away today. When you dwell and rest, hold on to the word, are marked by divine astonishment, and risk your life for the king, you are being built by the Lord. You take anything out, and you're trying to build yourself. All of those things are spiritual things that we are called to do in the New Testament. And we see them thousands of years before the time of Christ showing up on the planet. We see them reinforced in the Old Testament through David and his mighty men. You are Jesus' mighty men and women of God. And the big idea 
is to be fierce for the Lord. Like, be fierce for the Lord. Don't go to church. Oh, it's Sunday. We got to go. No, man, get up and be fierce for the Lord tomorrow. Be fierce for the Lord. Don't compromise in areas of your life. Let him change you. When we think about discipleship and what he's called us to do in the spiritual battle that we're in, um, there will be some people who are released in discipleship in a couple of weeks. And they will begin their own groups soon. And so over the past few years, man, I've really just been working intentionally to teach people how to follow the Lord and teach others how to follow the Lord and make disciples. I didn't do that at my last church. It was like whatever you got about that was through osmosis. Whatever came off of me and splashed on you and you could get it on your own, you got it. I wasn't so intentional about it. But I've like, man, I've been listening to the Lord here and like he's just told me like, man, work with people, teach them how to follow me, do it one-on-one, release them and and just keep doing that and teach them how to do it, and you will, you will become the church that I want you to be. Not a crowd of people, but a church filled with people who are fierce for me. He's one. Like, like he walked in discipleship with me for over a year. And I don't think there's any doubt that you can tell he's fierce for the Lord. He loves the Lord, man. And certainly, I I don't take any responsibility other than I just invited him to walk with me. I'm excited. His wife has been in discipleship for the last year. She'll be released soon. Uh, Last night, I went to uh, Rick and Brittany's wedding, which I led Rick to the Lord last year at Fortune Walk. Right across the street, gave his life to Jesus. He didn't know anything about Jesus, man. He started getting him in the Word, been walking with him for about a year, and, man, he's just been consuming the Word. And so, like, I, I uh, man, I don't want to go to Nebraska for a wedding. Who wants to drive to Nebraska for a wedding on Saturday? Yeah. I'm so glad I went. So they... They're reading their vows, and he breaks his open and begins to read it. First, first they talk about how they thought they had their life cut out, but then they found a church, and the Lord started working in their lives, and Rick breaks open his paper and begins to read his vow to Brittany. And he starts quoting from the book of Titus that we read together in discipleship. And he's speaking about the Lord. And he's speaking the word over his bride. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, it is the Lord. I'm, I'm sitting in the back just weeping because I can tell it's a Holy Spirit moment where God is doing his thing. And why do I share those stories with you? And that's some of the richest stuff that happens in my life. And it's, it's, it's because I've just been fierce and I wanted to fight for Rick. And the Lord is breaking out in his life. That's the way the Lord wants to use you. It's like he wants to use you to do that same thing.
Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.